Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 334 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I am so thrilled to be here with you today. I am talking to Natalia Molina. And y'all, this is such a joyful conversation. Oh, I think it's going to inspire you and uplift you and just make you feel good. We're going to be talking about being kind to yourself and resting and talking about doing service for other people and stick around please for the interview. It is so good. So that is coming up in your very near future. I am glad to tell you what has been going on around here. Oh my gosh. It feels like so much. Last week, last week we were suddenly thrown into the housing market in New Zealand because uh, we had decided it might be a good time to look for a mortgage. Our lease is coming up on our fantastic, beautiful, wonderful place. And the housing market is very, um, you know, it's depressed in New Zealand. So it's a good time for a buyer. And we just decided to apply to see if a bank would approve us, not thinking we would get approved. Lala has been unemployed for several months now. I can't remember if I mentioned that. I probably did. and all of the money that I make is what is considered offshore assets because I get paid in American dollars, which then I bring over to New Zealand. And that's awesome. But then they approved us and we were suddenly looking and we fell in love with the place. And it was perfect. And it was just down the street from where we live with the same harbor views. And um, yes, we got very, very excited and put in an offer. And then we did not get it. We did not get it. So it's just been this enormous roller coaster of emotion all in the past seven days, in the past week. All of this has arisen house shopping, learning these terms because New Zealand does not sell a house like America. I'm not sure which method is better, but New Zealand is certainly faster, certainly a lot faster. So many things we did not understand last week that we do understand this week. So we are continuing to move forward, but now we're doing it a little bit more, a a little bit more, I don't know. I'm not going to even say thoughtful or carefully because we obviously were doing that, but uh, maybe a little bit more sobriety around it. Uh, Understanding, be acting a little bit more. I want to keep, keep wanting to say more soberly, and that is not correct English, but with less panic. That's what that's what I want to say. It's been a panicked few days and that did not feel that great. So I am happy to come down off of that ledge. And now we move forward nice and slow. Like there will not be an episode next week because I will be off on holiday tramping the Abel Tasman track, which is a five-day hike that we are going to attempt to do. We've been training for Oh, a good six months. And I don't know if we're well enough trained. We will find out, but we are doing it the um, nice middle-aged way where we are supported, where they will give us our lunch in the morning and pick us up at the end of the trail at the end of the day and take us either to our glamping campsite or to the hotel, depending on where we are. So 
it's going to be super, super fun. So no episode next week. That will be kind of my um, holiday break. And uh, I wanted to say that 90 Days to Done is open. As you are hearing this, as this goes out this week, it will be live on the 8th of December. 90 Days to Done is open. 90 Day Revision is not it sold out in just a couple of hours. Uh, so that one always sells out and priority is always given to people who have taken 90 days to done, which is why it fills up so pretty much instantly. So if you are interested, 90 days to done, will be starting on January 3rd and it goes till the end of March. And in those 90 days, you can be with our small cohort. It's a masterclass in which you will write the first draft of your book. It's like an extended NaNoWriMo with a bunch of hands to hold, including mine. And it is so much fun. So much work gets done. We build an amazing community and I would love to have you along for the ride if you would like to join. So that is open. You can go to rachelheron.com slash 90 days to done. 90 is the number. Two is T-O, 90 days to done, and that will be there. It will tell you if it is closed uh, when you go to that link, but it's really awesome. And I'd love to have you if it is something you are interested in. So that's coming up. The other thing that's coming up right now is that we are going to jump into the interview with Natalia. Please enjoy. This is going to make you want to do some writing, and this is going to make you want to be kind to yourself and you deserve both of those things. You deserve to honor yourself as the writer that you are. And you also deserve to be kind to yourself. Those two things go together so beautifully and learning how to be kind to ourselves as writers and not beating ourselves up and not being mean, but actually loving the writer that you are is, I don't know, I'm going to be a work in progress at that for the rest of my life, probably, but I do get better the more I work on it. So Let's jump into the interview right now. Here's a little bio. Natalia Molina is a distinguished professor in the Department of American Studies and Ethnicity at the University of Southern California. She is currently serving as interim director of research at the Huntington, temporarily stepping down from its board of governors while a search for a new director is underway. Her own research explores the intertwined histories of race, place, gender, culture, and citizenship. She is the author of the award-winning books, How Race is Made in America, Immigration, Citizenship, and the Historical Power of Racial Script. Her most recent book is A Place at the Nayarit, How a Mexican Restaurant Nourished a Community on Immigrant Workers as Placemakers, including her grandmother, who nurtured and fed the community through the restaurants they established, which served as urban anchors. Professor Molina is a 2020 MacArthur Fellow. Oh my gosh, what a prestigious bio for an amazing person. Please enjoy this interview. My name is Carissa Swanson, and I found Rachel's class when I was in my fourth draft of my debut memoir. Before I found her class, I was just fumbling around trying to figure out how to edit a book, and I was getting kind of bogged down in um, sentence structure and was still sticking in the first quarter of my book. Rachel's class gave me so many valuable tools. Like for example, how story structure works and how to use an outline to guide your process forward. 
and also to how to use post-it notes and reactive writing in order to revise and refine my work. I also learned really valuable tools to get around that part of my brain that wants to resist or procrastinate or get bogged down in the same scene over and over and over. It has changed my writing. It has changed my process. And I'm so grateful for Rachel's class. Sign up. You won't regret it. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Will you please share your name and pronouns with us? Natalia Molina, her, she, her, yeah. Thank you. I'm delighted to have you here today. And I can't wait to talk to you all about writing and your latest book and all of that. But as you know, this is a show about writing process. And you are an incredibly busy person who is wearing a lot of hats at this moment. I really liked your autoresponder. I'm I'm obsessed with autoresponders right now. And your autoresponder was like, I, I'm doing a few things. So hold your horses. But it was said so politely and beautifully. Tell me how you get writing done around all of that. I have to say, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a professor at USC, University of Southern California. And one of the institutions that we have locally is the Huntington Library, where I wrote my entire dissertation here. Mm. I had a fellowship from them uh, two years ago, and I'm on their board. And so they asked me if I would step in as, as the interim research director, just part-time, just to do the most important <laughs> thing. And because I love this institution and I'm um, eager to see it grow, I said yes. But because I'm in a transition period, I have been getting less writing done. Yeah. And I see this with my students a lot. So I also like to be transparent when it's working for me and when it's not. So um, I see this happen with my students when they reach uh, the the ABD stage where they're all but dissertation, which is yeah. the funniest phrase, right? I have a PhD, except ABD. for that dissertation. <laughs> um, when they get their first job, when they become a parent, even when they you know start a serious relationship, right? Yeah. Just lots of things. And so for me, this is a transition period. So what I realize is um, while writing is still difficult, I am grumpy when I don't write. So I've been trying to do different kinds of writing. I am one of these people, and I know you are too, Rachel, that likes to write in the morning. And if I kind of miss that window, like, oh, well, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so I do the the thing where I you know park on a downslope. So I leave a list of things that I could do. And so today I was tired because I'm now a delicate flower that I went to a concert last night, did not even have wine, but because I went to bed an hour later than usual, I was a little tired this morning. So I just did my parking on a downslope. What can I do? I can read the research I wrote and I can see if I can, or I, I had looked up and then I could see where I can insert it into what I wrote. As long as I touch the writing, as long as I move it forward, I know that brain that it's somewhere it's germinating somewhere at the back of the brain. So I try to do different kinds of writing when I'm having a hard time. I love that. And I love the phrase parking on a downslope. I, you know, I was raised with cars that re I, I know how to start any car in second gear as either you're going downhill or somebody's pushing it. Like, you know how to pop the clutch. And I was just thinking kids maybe don't know that nowadays. <laughs> as, oh my gosh, you're totally right. They're like, park on a downhill? Why? What is, what is I that? Uber. Yeah. 
like I just remember all of the mechanics my mother would go through to make sure that the Corvair was on the downslope when the kids were in the car. No, that's hilarious. And it makes so much of a difference. So you wrote in the Huntington Library. Um, this is just a tangent just for my pleasure because I think that there is no better place to write than in a university or college library. It just feels so good and it smells so good. And the carols are so, tell me, tell me a little bit about why you loved being there. So the Huntington Library, uh, the main, what they call the reading room, which I actually think of as the writing room because no one goes in there to read, is the Rothenberg. And the Rothenberg is basically picture Harry Potter with a lot of professors in that kind of space. It's like oh. mahogany walls and old books and you have to be quiet and what's special about it is that everybody is there to write. Yeah. They're not there to read. They are there to write. And when I started as a graduate student, I was trying to figure out how to write and was having trouble writing some days. One of the senior professors, when we were out in the hall and we're about to walk in, she said, it was like one of those, come here, kid. She took me aside and she cracked open the door and she said, you see all those people writing? said yes and she goes how many of them do you think are inspired to write <laughs> i love it we don't come here because we're inspired literally you come zero here, you write and i'm like so I, I still conjure that like you know now all these years later i don't need to be inspired i can just sit down and kind of do my thing yeah. but you know at any moment there could be 30 or 40 people in there writing and then you go to lunch and because it's not our university jobs where people are like cranky or busy and really cranky because they're so busy that they're not writing. Mm -hmm. They're here to write. So people say, what are you working on today? What's your book about? Oh, that's so interesting. Have you ever thought this? Oh my gosh. Have you talked to so-and-so? And so this is a place where like ideas come to germinate. And so like these connections are made and you know some people have fellowships to come here but it really is like a, a we work for intellectuals so, <laughs> exactly, you know exactly. it's just like what are you working on like it's, it's you know people have university jobs or they're independent scholars uh we have koa back right now who's a journalist and she wrote white feminisms she's one of the public scholars that we have so it's a really eclectic crowd and you have to be able to talk about your work to people who don't know anything about your work. You have to be able to tell a story. And that is a great skill for someone like a historian who writes very dryly to learn. That is amazing. I love hearing about that. What I have not found here in New Zealand yet is the library of my dreams. There's um, a couple campuses in town for the University of Victoria and uh, and I, I will, I will get in there somehow. I will, but um. That's, that's amazing. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? We were actually just talking about this at lunch. So when a professor gets a fellowship, sometimes people say like, you don't have to work for a year. And yes, it's an amazing thing that you don't have to teach. Don't get me wrong. But of course, we the way we keep our jobs to get tenure is to write a book. So there's yeah. a lot of pressure as well. And so at lunch, um, there were senior professors and then, a you know, what we call senior professors, meaning they're tenured and a junior professor, meaning she's not tenured. And so people were giving her advice 
and, you know, put your auto responder on, on your email. It's okay to say no. We did all these things. And finally, somebody kind of bowed his head and he said, yeah, but sometimes it's hard to stay off email and, and you do say yes to things. And I said, yeah, they've traced the calls. It's coming <laughs> from inside, right? The reference to this horror movie. Yes, and, yes. and so part of it is, um, yes, there are the external realities right now that I've started this new position. I'm getting used to it. Um, things that I'm sure when you're in a position two or three years, you can do without even thinking about it. But right now I tend to like, well, what's the policy on that? Let's research that. Um, and sometimes that can wait. And yet it's really nice work procrastination to say, if I just finish that and, you know, an hour can pass and you're still on email. So yes. part of it is realizing we've, we found the enemy and it's within. The and call is really it. coming from inside the house. Every, I have, so I have to put on my freedom app. So my freedom app is my lifesaver. I love, you know, the freedom app is that freedom. email blocker. And mm -hmm. um, for me, it's, it's email blocking, social media, but also things like um, my bank, because I could, I could balance my statement right now. <laughs> Why I need to do that on Thursday at 9 a.m.? I don't know. I guess probably because it gives me a sense of control. Yeah. So I, I think that's the biggest thing. Like, what can I do that helps me have control? And so I realized the more specific I make my ask for the day, the better, right? And and I, there's a New York Times article about it. You, you know, people can Google it. I think it's called micro goals. So people talk about smart goals mm -hmm. and I do the palm system, the 25 minutes and the palm system is, you know, the Pomodoro is 25 minutes. And so smart goal is what you can fit in 25 minutes. And if you can't fit in in 25 minutes, it's not a smart goal. You have to break it down. Like I, I will read this article and I will integrate it, integrate it into my notes. Maybe it's read article is one palm, integrate is another. But the micro goals, and this is what someone like me needs, is I will pull out the article and I will read one page. Like just kind of like, it's okay, baby. Don't be scared. <laughs> you can do it. And so I have found micro goals work the best for me in those situations. We have to do that. I just saw um, over in my Slack group, uh, a, a friend that and and writer that I've worked with for a long time, and she posted her picture of the thirty days she had thirty days challenge that she had just done for herself that was touching her manuscript for two minutes a day for thirty days in a row. Two two minutes, and do we ever? I mean, probably at some. I'm guessing that someday she looked at it for two minutes, and that was it. And then she crossed it off, and then she got her reward at the end, which was a, a new fantasy novel. Um, but. Most of the time, she's going to stay in there for 10 minutes or half an hour or two hours. It's it's just the little micro goal that gets us there. I'm going to look up that article. That sounds amazing. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? You know, and that's the thing is that sometimes my joy comes within two minutes. Like, it's <laughs> right. Like, I, I am such a firm believer in, you know, I don't know what I'm thinking until I write. And so you start writing and then a connection is made and you're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And it can come so quickly. So quickly, <laughs> so quickly. And I thought, I can't believe I resisted these, you know, first 119 seconds <laughs> because at second 120, it's just like, 
I mean, that joy of making a connection yeah. is just amazing. Um, today I had it because I wrote and I probably, cause I only wrote one poem, but once you have that in there, you're thinking about something. And so I was thinking about something that happened yesterday and I've started a newsletter. And so I thought, Oh, that would be a good newsletter entry. I just popped open my voice recorder on my iPhone recorded for three minutes and 30 seconds before I started crying because I just was so moving and I was like, Oh yeah, this is going to work. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then I finished my thought. And so I know that I can go back to that. So that's a good parking on a downslope yes. so tomorrow or Friday morning when it's difficult to write. Cause it's often difficult on Friday mornings once you're tired and that kind of thing. I all I have to do is to transcribe that three minutes and 40 seconds and other ideas will pop in. So it's like, I already have a first draft. And those, I, that idea for that newsletter would never, ever have happened if you hadn't shown up and did, did the two minutes, the three minutes of thinking. Oh, it's so, it's so juicy and good. Okay. Can you share a craft? T- I feel like you've already given us like three. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us though? Um, I've been at this a while. And so I will say that part of my tip is I've relaxed a little. So before COVID, so when I moved back, I was at UC San Diego for four years, I mean, for 17 years. And then I moved back to LA and I started this little, um, we had trouble coming up with a name and we have two names, Waggetts writing accountability group and it's all women's we say it's our waggots <laughs> and we we're all writing a book so we called it each other our book babes cute. um i know we just we just went for the full cuteness and so i would note we would do a share out at the beginning you know once a week like what what do i want from this week what worked and didn't work last week and people were so hard on themselves oh i was lazy i didn't write three days oh I just, I can't move this project forward. It's just not working for me. Maybe I can't handle it. You know, that kind of negative talk. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, I'm like, are you looking at what else is going on in your life? You, you know, have a small child, you travel to give a talk. You did too much what in for professors we call service, like reviewing manuscripts or writing letters of rec. You're teaching a new class. You're in a transition period, those kinds of things. So part of telling each other all the part of it was telling each other all the time, like, be kind to yourself, maybe you need to rest more. And we're not, a lot of us aren't used to that, you know, especially if you're a writer, you always have to be so self directed. And then in COVID, I realized, oh, I was doing that to myself, too. But without the external factors of maybe I'm tired, because I'm traveling, maybe I'm tired, because my commute is long. I just realized, some days I'm tired. And so what I do those days is I try not to, you know, do email or work procrastination or internet or anything. I just go lay down. Mm. And sometimes after 20, even if it's the morning Mm -hmm. and sometimes after 20 minutes or 30 minutes, but really rarely more than an hour, I'm not tired anymore. And then I go work. So part of it is my craft trip is being kind to ourselves because you're tired doesn't mean you're lazy. It just means you're tired and you would never tell someone else, no, go work on that. What do you mean? Two minutes? No, it has to be two hours or you're a loser. (laughs) And I need to do it seven days in a week. Yeah. Yeah. If you wouldn't say it to someone else, don't say it to yourself. I absolutely 
Love that so much. And and we have to have people around us to remind us of this because I I just can't keep this idea in my head for more than like, you know, maybe two hours and 15 minutes. But the other day I was talking to a friend and I was beating myself up and and I was like, I did everything right. I got sleep. I've been eating well. I've been exercising. Why am I feeling this tired? And she says, oh my gosh, you just sound like you're human. Are you, are you human? Like, why are you expecting perfection of yourself? And why do we forget that? And we have to have those groups around us to remind us of that. Thank you for reminding me of that today. You're my reminder today. And for everyone listening to be kind to ourselves and think about how incredible it is that we are even thinking and doing writing at all. Yes. So gorgeous. Okay. So pop quiz. Um, <laughs> what's the most mortifying moment you've survived as a writer? My first book was rejected. Tell me that more. was hard. Um, it was rejected after a lot of interest had been expressed Ugh. in it. It was solicited. Oh, and they kept it for a long time. Before oh, so your hope was in the stratosphere. Yeah. And also, if you're going to break up with me, do it quick. <laughs> like, don't, don't string me on for that long. Um, and that was a book that, you know, I work on race. And mm -hmm. a lot of the studies around race, you think of like African-American studies or I do Latino studies. Part of the reason that we tend to look at them kind of in these silos is because of the movements they came out of, the women's movement, the gay movement, all the movements of the 60s. And people get trained these ways, so they aren't trained to talk to each other very much. Mm. And my book was trying to get the fields to talk to each other. Mm. And I was told, no, 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 we don't do that. And so um, I just said, okay. And they said, if you cut out the other stuff, We'll publish it. And I thought that that's oh defeating gosh. the purpose. I, but I realized because sometimes people's feedback tells you more about them than it does about you. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I thought, I think I'm not communicating what I want well enough. So what your feedback is telling me, not that I need to change, but that I just need to be clear. Mm. And so I, you know, rewrote all of that. And the, the book got published and I moved on with my life. At that moment, you think like, I won't move on, but you move on. move on, right? So yeah. I move on. And then, you know, um, 15 years later, I get a big award for doing that kind of work. So 15 that's the other thing. years later. Oh, the weight though. Oh, you know, you have to, you have to stick with your guns, you know, well, the book won an award. So right away it was, I knew that it was a good idea, but 15 years later, it was like, oh, and people are doing that kind of work now. Yeah. My editor asked me to do an edited volume to show people how to do that kind of work. So it just, yeah, it worked out. <laughs> oh my God. I love this answer. Thank you. All right. So you've already talked about being kind to yourself as a writer. What is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you in your writing career? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if it's the kindest thing, but for professors, our work only moves forward if we review each other's work. Mm. And it's, I mean, I think that's the case for most writers, right? Like you need feedback. And so 
you know, giving feedback, I wouldn't say is like the kindest thing that anyone has ever done for me. At the same time, collectively, yes. Where would I be without feedback? Yeah. And anytime you give someone feedback, they're not doing their own work. But it also means sometimes, especially if you're the person who said, by the way, I was that anonymous reviewer. And then I may come back to you and say, then can you write me a letter of recommendation for this fellowship? Or can you then, you know, be the person? So oftentimes, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. And yet those people continue to do that kind of work. And now that I'm a dean or I've been a dean before academic personnel, I know that there's certain people that do that kind of feedback, service, whatever it's called in your field, and certain people that don't. So collectively, it's those people. And collectively, it's that act of kindness that a lot of other people say no to. Mm. And it is all about energy, I think, the energy and the time that they're putting into the other person's work, not giving to themselves at that moment, but choosing to do that because it's a kind thing to do and a helpful thing to do in a collective format. That's awesome. How do yeah, you manage we, how, how do you balance that now for yourself? I I try to kind of think about it in slots. And so I always have time for that. I don't have time for it horizontally so that if everybody comes to me, I'm not just going, oh, do your work and do your and work, yours, and yeah, yeah, work. Yeah. Because I figure it also doesn't behoove them it, to have somebody who isn't learning by doing their own writing and who doesn't have a good reputation. Um, so if I blurb your book, it means something yeah. because it says I wrote a book. So I'm trying to balance it, but I always have a slot for it vertically. So I, I'm always reading someone else's work, but it's in the queue. Yeah. And sometimes I tell people, I'm happy to read it. Right now, it looks like I'd get to you in three months. And they say, oh, it's not important. Not that important, but can you talk for 15 minutes? Or sometimes what I do with my students is I say, you know, I need to, I need to meet this week. I can't, but can you just send me what you want me to give you feedback on? And I'll look at it and I'll send you a voice memo. I'm the queen of voice memos for myself. Voice memos are the best. They're so so fast. They're so fast. They're fast. And they get like the kind of inflection you have in your voice. Like, I am so excited. Yeah. I was confused. I think you're saying this, but you really don't talk about that till page 10. And it ends on page 10. (laughs) Can we we link what you say on page one to page 10? And that's kind of hard to do just in comments. And if you do it in comments, written comments, it's, it's going to sound harsher, like the ideas are very uh, disparate here and they're disconnected over the, the man. You know what I mean? So I I try to say, like, I can't I may not do be able to do it in this form, but what exactly do you need? And maybe I can help you in this moment. I absolutely love that. And and to connect something that is probably not very connected at all, but um, I I'm in recovery and there's a saying that we use in 12 step, uh, which is service keeps you sober. And the mm-hmm. whole idea of this is that when you are doing service for somebody else, you're, you're for once in my own life, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm not thinking about my problems. I'm not thinking about my stuff. And when I'm helping another writer, I'm not thinking of, I'm not obsessing about my own writing. I'm obsessing about theirs and thinking about them and their journey. And of course that selfishly then influences my own work because 
we're always thinking about our own work in the back of our mind, but, but I really like this idea of thinking about it vertically. And that's exactly the way I do that kind of service. And I've never thought about it in those words. So thank you. It's so fun to talk to you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what is the best book that you've read recently and why did you let it? I mean, there's a couple books that I'll mention quickly and then I'll talk about one a little bit more in, in depth. Um, and they, they don't need my plug because they're, they're well-read books, but um, I started reading, I'll, I'll say it more just for, for writers out there. I've been listening to, uh, I forget the author, but it's leave the gun, take the cannoli, the book on the making of the Godfather. Yeah. It's interesting to hear that or read that as a writer, because um, I mean, not all parts will apply, but you get to the part where Francis Ford Coppola is converting the novel to a tech, to a, a film. And what he does is he goes and underlights all the action parts. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the opening line um, uh, with Bonacera, when he says, I believe in America, that's actually weighing uh, like page 30 of the novel. It mm-hmm. starts with like, I think a sex scene with Sonny. And then it starts with the wedding. And he's like, no, that's not what this movie is. And so it's also thinking about like how narrative works and how you want your writing to move think the storyline forward. And so I think that was very helpful. Um, I like to read things that aren't really connected to my work, right? Because yeah, then it activates that part of the brain yeah. and just the storytelling part. Then the other one is uh, the Empire of Pain about the Sackler Empire. And I didn't, I never wanted, I just, it was silly. I didn't want to read it because of the topic, but I was recommended by a few friends. And I'm also, you know, here at the Huntington Library, I'm also working on a book on the history of the Huntington Library. So, you know, it's like Henry Huntington was this great man who built this place. And I'm really interested in what it looks like from the viewpoint of the workers to have been like a Mexican immigrant who built this place. Um, And what I love about the Empire of Pain book is that this is a family that built something. But he doesn't just take it from the perspective of the family and their empire. He talks about all the the tentacular reach that that empire yeah. had, like through cultural institutions, through the museums. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, the family dynamics. You're the first person to make me want to read that. And for people who don't know the Sacklers, they are the ones who are basically behind the opioid crisis in America. Um and I just did um, Dope Sick with Michael Keaton on Hulu, and we just finished that series. It's very good, It's a, but it's a different way of telling that story. That story is the story of oxycodone. Mm-hmm. The Empire of Pain is the story of the Sackler family. That's fascinating. It's Yeah, it's really interesting. And then in my field, um, the book that I recently read and blurbed was Kelly Lytle Hernandez's uh, Bad Mexicans. And she's looking at the Magone brothers and the Mexican Revolution, but the connections between the U.S. and Mexico, because, again, we tend to think of things as silos. This is U.S. history. This is Mexican history. But she looks at all the, the you know, um, the U.S. Uh, business magnets, investors who went and invested in Mexico. So then the U.S. had a stake in the Mexican Revolution. Yeah, it's really interesting. So that's a great read. Ah, I feel like I'm just going to call you whenever I need my next book recommendations. This is fabulous. We are. Yeah, we, we can always be on speed down with each other. <laughs> or vo- voice memo. Perfect. <laughs> now, I would love to hear from you about your most recent work, which is A Place at the Nayarit. Is that how you say yes. it? Yes. 
Okay. Yes. Tell so it's that. a place at the Nayarit, how a Mexican restaurant nourished a community. And it's a story of my grandmother, Natalia Barraza, who immigrated to the U.S. in 1921 on the heels of the Mexican Revolution. It was unusual for a woman to immigrate then. And it was unusual for a working class woman, really a very poor woman, to um, amount to much. But I think she saw that and said, if I work as a waitress or in the agricultural fields or run a boarding house, not going to get very far and I can cook. So she started her own restaurant. It became what I call an urban anchor. Mm. Um, I call her a placemaker and immigrants like her placemakers because we only think about urban anchors as like hospitals or libraries, um, you know, these official institutions, but restaurants are our cultural institutions. Mm. And so it takes place in Los Angeles in a neighborhood called Echo Park, which is, you know, being filmed and all the time now and it's a very trendy neighborhood and people seem to think like wow it's really made it but it's the story behind that gentrification and all the immigrants who made echo park a place where people could feel insiders for years and not just mexicans what's interesting about echo park is that it's a geographic crossroads and it's a cultural crossroads Mm, that gives me goosebumps It it reminds me of my other hometown which is oakland which is that um Yes. And Oakland, Oakland, I just heard something on Oakland too. And the person said, basically said the same thing that people from Echo Park feel. We just heard it when Serena Williams was, you know, gave her um, speech as she finished her first match at the the U.S. Open. She goes, I just wanted people to see themselves reflected. I'm from Compton. So it also showed you, it wasn't just about her being black. It was about where she came from, that it was a place that had been overlooked. Yeah. And she was saying, we're somebody, we're not stereotypes and neither are, are the places that we come from. And that is what this book is. It's about food, it's about place, it's about community and it's about the story of neighborhoods that we love even if they are sometimes overlooked. What does it mean to you to share your grandmother's name? I think as I was writing this book, cause you know, I never met her. I had to learn her story through oral interviews and that sort of thing. I think as I was writing this book, I realized how much I modeled myself after her. You know, I've always heard she was a generous person, but she took her work seriously. She um, wanted her restaurant to be known. She did not try to keep quiet about it. And unlike a lot of, you know, popular writer, popular press writers are like, of course, I'm going to tell you about my book. I want to sell my book. Professors are like, oh, why did we spend all this time writing a book yeah so yeah. yeah i think if we have a story to share we are not serving anyone by making ourselves small it. shout your story tell your story that is oh. the other message of this book my goodness natalia i just have constant goosebumps talking to you this is Fantastic. Can you please tell listeners where they can find you and the book? I have a website, Natalia Molina. I don't even know what it is. I think it's this <laughs> Prof Natalia Molina. You can Google me, Natalia Molina. It's the first USC. hit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Prof Natalia Molina for Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for being here on the show. I have loved talking to you. This has been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? 
You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>